0: This program contains grown-up themes and language that the FCC doesn't like. Use your common sense. You're listening to Beautiful Red, a novel by M. Darusha Wayne. Find out more at darusha.ca slash beautifulred. Beautiful Red 9. It was a 90-minute train ride, and Jack was having trouble filling the time. Her nerves were jangling, and every few minutes she would decide to catch return train as soon as they stopped. But, deep down, she knew that she'd end up following through with her plan. She'd gone too far to stop now, and when she thought about it, this was the most exhilarating experience she'd had since she decided to play on the right side of the rules. Hell, she had never really been much of a cracker anyway, She was always more interested in how things worked than causing problems. Her break-and-enter career was entirely motivated by a need to see what was on the other side, and she was very good at making sure she wouldn't be caught. This was probably the most exciting thing she had ever done in her entire life. There was no way she was going to wimp out now. She fired up her system and logged in under her old handle. She hopped onto the boards where she had originally found the information about the group she was following. According to the posting, she was currently on her way to a sort of open house for the local chapter of the Red. It was fairly well advertised among the underground Narca cracker scene, so Jack guessed it was probably a pretty low-level bunch, the kind who might stage a reenactment of the first wetware upgrade outside a high-end salon. She didn't really believe that anyone at this event would be part of the sick experiment that Jack was convinced had destroyed a Rowan and the man in the streeter's alley. But it was a start an entrance into this underworld that Jack now felt compelled to destroy. Now that she had decided that she was going through with it, damn the consequences, she felt a wave of calm come over her. If she believed in such things, she may have felt that she was destined for this. But Jack was not one of the handful of people who clung to the ancient ideas of a single life having a special meaning. She knew that life was random, both the events of a life and the existence of it. She knew that it didn't matter to the universe if anyone lived or died, but it mattered to her, and she felt herself warming to this new role she was taking on. She lurked on the boards for a good 15 or 20 minutes before asking a few questions about today's events. She got decent directions from the central train station and was told to ping a certain address when she reached a particular intersection. She logged out of the board and checked the time. She still had about a half an hour before the train would arrive at its stop, so she brought up her museum interface and walked over to the main desk. She took a piece of stationery and began a message. Adrian, I found some information about those things we were discussing earlier. I'm doing a little dicking, but it's going to take a while before I know for sure if I'm on the right track. I'll probably be out of touch until late tonight, but I'll talk to you tomorrow. Just wanted to keep you posted. J. Jack sent the message and refocused on her physical surroundings. This train was more comfortably appointed than the intra-urban lines she was accustomed to traveling on, but it wasn't quite comfortable enough to accommodate the hour-and-a-half-long trip. Jack felt some annoying numbness in her ass, which she hadn't noticed when she was online, but was now starting to make her feel restless. She shifted in her seat, trying not to jostle the people on either side of her. They were both still entirely online, though, judging from the vacant looks on their faces. Jack was now starting to become unnerved by that look. The here-in-body-but-not-in-mind stare. She remembered from her history classes in school that when the first implants were being done, many people were opposed to the whole concept. A lot of the arguments seemed completely ridiculous to Jack, as they now did to everyone who had grown up implanted at a young age. Looking around her now, though, Jack could imagine that for people who had never directly experienced the network, seeing this look on others would have been argument enough that the implants were a bad idea she shook her head and shook these ideas out of her mind there was a world of difference between reading messages doing some work or playing a game while stuck on the train and the brainlessness that was the man in the streeters alley the train began its negative acceleration and most of the other passengers began to refocus to their surroundings people began to shift collect bags from beneath their seats, and talk out loud to their traveling companions. Jack slung her small bag over her shoulders and cracked her neck. She got up and headed for the door, waiting there as the train stopped. Once the train had stopped moving, a chime sounded and the door dissolved. Jack stepped into the station and immediately noticed that the air here smelled different. Jack had never physically left the city in which she had been born, Physically traveling was not that big a deal when you could go anywhere in seconds just by closing your eyes and paging around a little. She never realized that things like the smell of the air or the way the roads curved would be different anywhere else. For a moment she was frozen by the strangeness of this train station, its layout similar but different from the one she had at home. Then she got a hold of herself and realized that the physical world was still there, was still full of all those things that make places unique and her mood went from fear and confusion to happiness that there were still aspects of life that were natural and unexpected. She made her way through the station and out to the local train stop. She called up the directions she had been given and, as suggested, got on a train going to Northwinds. She was one of only a few other riders on this line, so was able to get a seat to herself. She looked out the windows as the train silently hovered above its magnetic track through the city. At a cursory glance, a person would be hard-pressed to tell the difference between this place and Jack's home. Both cities were full of almost identical-looking tall buildings that housed apartments that were likely very similar to Jack's own room. In the city center were even taller buildings owned by the firms. Every city had its ten or twenty firms, each firm having centers in up to fifteen cities worldwide. The companies agreed to certain terms, including providing law enforcement and funding minor civic upkeep like the pavement. The trains were run independently by a couple of firms, as were the utilities, schools, and upgrade salons. But the most important utility, everywhere net, was controlled by a cartel of representatives of all the firms. Since they all needed it, none of the firms were willing to give up ownership to another, so they had to actually work together to keep it running, strong and free. It was raining, and the light from inside the train shone on the drops that collected on the drab scene outside the train. It made the view look almost pretty, but Jack knew that in any city the most beautiful things were the bodies and faces of the fashionable people and the logos on the building's doors. It was no wonder everyone spent most of their time on the nets, in games, on the boards, interacting with other people they would never see in the flesh. Flesh that was mostly just a medium for enhancing a person's ability to interact on the nets, a conduit for implants, interfaces, and inputs. Jack snapped out of her philosophical reverie and consulted her set of directions. Good thing, too, since her stop was coming up. She stepped to the door, and when it dissolved, she walked forward and turned left onto the street. The train slithered away, and Jack started walking toward her destination. It was still early in the evening, but the sun was not very strong here, and it seemed dark, even though there was more than enough visibility. The rain was still coming down, though lightly now, and as Jack walked along the street, she wished she had paid the extra fee to bring her scooter on the train. She had the directions up and visible, as well as the connection to the underground boards. She was absently watching the conversations while checking the street signs as they flashed on as she approached the intersections. She reached the corner of 5th and Somerdale, And dutifully pinged the address she'd been given immediately she received a download of a map to the event she put the map up in her vision and kept walking onward as she neared the street where the event was taking place she saw the board she'd been monitoring flicker and then all conversation stopped some in mid-thought Jack had never seen that before and she stopped too she brought the board up in full focus and tried to comment nothing she paged to another board which wouldn't even come up at all. She tried to bring up one of the other nets, and nothing happened there either. She pinged the address she'd been given and waited. Waited. She had never waited for the answer to a ping. Finally, after what seemed like an eternity, she got back an error message she had never encountered before. No route to host. Please check network connection. What the fuck is this? Jack had a bad feeling. She thought she knew what this meant, but... That was impossible. She tried connecting again. Nothing. She brought up her emergency beacon, took a deep breath, and sent it out. She sent a message to every connected device within five kilometers indicating that she had an emergency. Everyone in the vicinity should be looking to see what was going on, out of curiosity or annoyance at the interruption at the very least. But there was nothing. She checked her logs and saw that the beacon was not sent. She was offline Really offline, though, not just taking a break. There was no network. She felt herself beginning to panic and forced her breathing to slow down. She stood stock still and tried to make sense of this. She pulled up Network Monitor, a program that showed the strength of EverywhereNet. People who worked underground or in remote locations used it to make sure there was enough strength for high-bandwidth transfers, but no one needed that sort of thing in a city. At least, Jack had never heard of anyone needing it before. She kept her focus on the monitor and started walking backwards, very slowly. She saw a slow rise in the graph until it was at a constant high level. She had moved back about a meter. She quickly pinged a well-known host and had no trouble. She brought up the monitor again and started walking slowly forward. She watched in dismay as the network connection decreased until it was gone completely. She kept walking and it stayed down. She crossed the street laterally and saw the network spike up again, but as soon as she returned to the other side, it flatlined back down. She brought up the map next to the monitor and continued along its path. Still no network. She was starting to think that the coincidence was too unlikely and wondered what she was getting herself into. She had come too far to turn back, but without the backup of the nets, she wasn't sure that she had the courage to continue. She closed her eyes, turned off the visuals and opened them again she saw the street uncovered by the ubiquitous information in her vision she saw the cracks in the sidewalk the discoloration of the metal in the walls she looked up and saw the infinite varieties of gray making up the color of the sky she blinked a few times took a deep breath and kept on moving she had studied the map enough that she could almost still see it before her even though her visuals were off She knew that the door she wanted was one block up on the left, a red door, with the number 17 above the transom. She heard music pulsing as she approached the area, and knew the door even before she saw its color and number. She steeled her nerves, walked up to the door, and pushed. You've been listening to Beautiful Red by M. Darusha Wayne. Find out more at darusha.ca/slash beautiful or subscribe for free at podiobooks.com. The theme music is low-level format by Bjorn Fogelberg. Learn more about Bjorn's music at Fogelberg.com and you can buy the album Karushi Porn at Magnatune.com. If you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. Leave a comment on the website send email to Derusha at darusha.ca or call the listener line at 206-339-8577. Thanks for listening.